welcome to episode 221 of Effect. How deep can we go? I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. And um, you vetoed how low can we go. But that's probably a good idea because we can go very low indeed. Uh, we can. And, and we're not talking about going low in this episode, are we? We're talking about going deep. We're not actually. We're, we're, going, we're, we're going deep. So <laughs> it was so just the, childish so humour on my the part. The title would have made no sense whatsoever if we'd said how low can we go. I, I'm sure I could have made something fit. <laughs> do, you, do you think? Okay. Anyway, carry on, carry on. So given that we don't have any extra content content inserted just so that how low can we go um made sense uh we're actually relatively content like we've got a little bit of well we've got a new patron another new patron that's two new patrons in a row that's really good uh we've got uh, a little bit of news but not so much news from the world of gaming although that does include some news from um our favorite company free league that we have to talk about and we have got an article that um kind of follows on a bit from our discussions in the last episode and some of that following on still in the discussion we had on our Discord, which is the nicest place in the internet. And that is about a new term that you're mm. laying credit to having coined, which is mechanical depth. Well, I haven't seen it anywhere before. I'm sure somebody else has probably said it at some point. But uh, yeah. Cool. I, well, it, it came up in conversation, and I I used that phrase, and I thought that 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 phrase means something. Well, we can make it mean something with your article later on. <laughs> Indeed, uh, but yeah, that's what we're talking to, and that kind of ties in a little bit with our Toto preparation. Um, so, uh, and Toto, for those who are uninitiated, is Tales of the Old West, our our game that. Maybe this time next year we'll be promoting a Kickstarter for or something. But we'll wait and see. We'll announce it in the world of gaming if we do. Um, <laughs> shall we get on with the um, with the please, uh, please, new patron? Please get on with the new patron. Just carry on. Stop talking, <laughs> Matthew. Whenever, whenever you're ready, mate. <laughs> no rush. Feel free to interrupt <laughs> me. And I'll tell you what, actually, I want you to announce our new patron. <laughs> because I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce his name. Me, me neither. Um, okay, well, our, our lovely new patron this time, um, and with advanced apologies, as always, for completely butchering pronunciation, uh, it's Yeppe uh, Mulik, or Yeppe Mulik, Mulich. Um, very sorry, Yeppe, Yeppe, Sheppe, I don't know, something like that. But thank you so much for, for coming on board. Great to see you in the Discord already. Um, and welcome to the uh, to the wonderful world of um, effect loveliness. And I think uh, Yepa is um, that's what we're calling you now, whatever your name is. <laughs> uh, I, I think Yepa, you're you're Swedish, aren't you? Which is why I handed over to um, to Dave, who is by dint of being married to a Swede, the most Swedish expert we have in the room. Um, <laughs> which is so, uh, which is saying something, isn't it? Really, um, yeah. <laughs> But if you're not, you know, if you're from Denmark or Outer Mongolia, then welcome anyway, because <laughs> ours is a big global family. Um, have we embarrassed ourselves enough now? Probably. I don't think we've had a patron from Outer Mongolia. So if you are from Outer Mongolia, Jeppe, that would be brilliant, because that would be a, a lovely yeah, extension yeah. Do, of, of the 
of the Discord of the um, effect effect family. But I suspect do you're confirm not Mongolian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Only confirm it if it's true. <laughs> um, or, now, or lie. Yeah. Or lie. Yeah. Has already found the nicest place on the internet, our Discord, and is. Um, an active participant there. So that's really good to see. It's and of course, right. I urge all of our patrons who haven't found the Discord yet, come come and join in. It's great fun. It's great fun. It is. It is. Right. Now, um, World, World of Gaming. We're only what five minutes in and uh, World of Gaming, yeah. What have you got for us then, Matt? Well, what have I got for you? You've got the running order in front of you, mate. You know as well as I do what. <laughs> Look, look, I'm so trying to make it sound one, like a conversation to... here, you know, rather than, you know. <laughs> yes, anyway, we've got a script. We just go through it. It's on both of our screens. Um, yes. Yeah. It's... Anyway, yes, Electric State. So it came to Kickstarter about, what, a week ago? Uh, Free League's new role-playing game based on Simon Stanenhag's, um art storybook uh, of the same name. Um, yeah. What do you want to say about it? Have you have you backed it, Matt? Well, no, I I haven't. Um, I don't. I don't back all the Siemens Still and Hag stuff because um, uh, because I traditionally never have. Uh, but also this one, I am struggling to see the USP. If I'm going to be really frank. Yeah, same here. Um, uh, there, there, there's a thing I like to, you know, talk about um, with role-playing games is what do you do? And uh, what it says you do is you go on a journey. So I'm thinking, is it kind of hex-crawly? Um, I'm not sure whether actually hex-crawl is the right word to use because it's set in 90s America. Therefore, you'd be using roads probably most of the time. Um so maybe line crawly. Um, I don't know. Anyway, uh, it, it's not it's not reaching out to me, grabbing me by the throat and saying, buy me. No, I have I, more I, to I, say on that, but let's stick to electric yeah. state for the moment. No, I mean, I, I, I looked at it and I, and I, again, like you, there, there wasn't something that absolutely hooked me as, as fresh and new. I mean, obviously, Simon Stanahag's artwork is superb as always. And it really evokes a lovely feeling of you know the time that they're setting the game in, and the you know and the and the, the place. I mean, this fabulous picture just looking at here with like a giant sort of cartoon robot sort of draped mm. over a, a flyover with a police car in the in the foreground looks fabulous. It evokes a lovely, lovely image and a feeling, and you know, and often that's enough to to get me into a into a game and get me to back it. But in this case, I think it doesn't feel to me. Like you say, there isn't a USP that's grabbed me by the throat and shaken me. I wonder whether there's anything, you know, what what is there in this game that I can do that I cannot do in either Tales from the Loop, Things from the Flood, or Walking Dead. And that's kind of where I've landed with it at the moment. <clears throat> and they and they haven't said a lot more than actually what you said already about what um what the game's about, about what you'll be doing. So it's I don't know there's a, there's a bit of a bit of mystery in there. I mean they they do also talk about I'm trying to find you know like there's a there's a neurotechnology um which I think is a, li- a bit of kind of ability to access the electric states version of cyberspace I think. Um but again that doesn't 
really grip me either uh, at the moment. So, I mean, it looks fabulous. Um, obviously, it's got all the freely, you know, marvellous production values and everything. But yeah, um, I mean, I guess the one thing that has struck me is, could you, could you, is this a game where you could, you could do a role playing game of something like The Road by Cormac McCarthy? Is that, is that the kind of game that this would be ideal for? But then in the way it's designed and set up and the artwork and everything, it doesn't feel as bleak as that. It's, it's, it's got a definite bleak element to it and like an isolated and lonely element to it. But I mean, you know, the road is just, you know, the, the word bleak was invented for books like The Road. Um, mm. So it doesn't give me that vibe. But from what they've said, it feels as if The Road might be the kind of game you could, that kind of story could be played out in in this game. But I'm speculating quite quite wildly. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're speculating quite a bit. And and frankly, I'm not sure that um, given I've got a copy of The Walking Dead, I wouldn't just run the road in The Walking Dead and instead of having zombies, turn the swarms into uh, other people being cannibals, frankly. Yeah. Um, so, so one of the things, though, that stands out in the description is the paragraph that says, the game is not about the goal, but the journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what the characters experience and how it changes them. This is a game of exploration, but that which is explored is yourself and your friends and what you are willing to do when the world collapses around you. So that is giving me slight vibes of, for example, Die the RPG or uh, Nibiru, where you're going on a journey of self-discovery for your characters. And I just wonder whether there's going to be an interesting... um, um, mechanic in character generation where you start off not really knowing very much about who you are, apart from maybe the most blatant stereotype and you, you build your characters you explore through. That might be a bit of fun but I honestly don't know. and I'm not sure it's enough fun for me to want to commit to it now, sadly. Yeah. Now, I, I, I'm the same. I know a lot of people have backed it. I mean, it's doing very well as you would expect. Uh, at the point of recording, they've got £220,000 pledged of a £20,000 goal, near enough. 4000 backers. So with 10 days to go, um, that will run through to the 20th of December. So if you're interested, um, have a look and go and back it. But um, I think, you know, particularly with my, 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 my new state of not having quite so much money as I had before, um, this is one that I'm probably going to pass, certainly for now. Yes, yeah, you can afford the four pounds for uh, for four Borg as you did last week, but uh, also you can afford the shelf space for four Borg because I think it's going to be relatively small. Apart from oh, you went for the uh, deluxe version with the uh, added dice as well, didn't you? I but, did, um, yeah. Funny enough, I've been thinking about this as I've been. Um, you, you would have been aware, Dave, but our listeners won't that I briefly lost Forbidden Lands. Uh, <laughs> And, and our I characters, and all your, left all your work in, to go with it. And I wondered whether I'd left it in Norfolk for a moment, which is why I contacted uh, you and the others who are there. But um, I've, I found that now, so panic over. However, while I was looking at, uh, you know, wondering whether I'd put it in a strange place on my shelves, I looked at my shelves full of RPG books and thought, I've got too many. You know, I have <laughs> bought this year, just this year, I have bought, um, stealing stories for the devil. I've got spectaculars, which I bought at a bargain price, but incredibly expensive um, 
postage. Um, and I've got other games which I haven't even read, let alone played. Yeah. And so I, you know, a year ago when I was made redundant, or no, actually, no, it's a couple of years ago now, I had a new job a year ago. Um, when, I, when I was made redundant, I, I backed off the Kickstarters a bit. And and then just recently, actually, obviously, I've been buying these other games, not necessarily off Kickstarters, but games that maybe I wanted to buy on Kickstarter and I didn't. And then I bought them in the shops. And I'm thinking, I've just, honestly, I've, this is worrying me a bit about Tales of the Old West, in fact. Are we going to launch the Kickstarter of this game just when the whole of the rest of the world discovers they're in the same position as me and they've got too many games and mm-hmm. everybody stops buying uh, games on Kickstarter? Um, apart from these uh, four thousand and thirty-nine people that have just bought Electric State, but but what if what if Electric State is the last role-playing game that these four thousand and thirty-nine people are actually going to buy? It probably won't be, though. No, you're right. Okay, <laughs> it's not going to fall off a cliff, is it? I don't think. I mean, we I think we had this conversation maybe a year or eighteen months ago, saying has the, mm-hmm. the Kickstarter kind of bonanza bubble started to show signs of bursting. And, and it, it, I mean, we can. There's another game we can come to in a moment, which kind of clearly demonstrates yeah. that there there is a market out no. there. Um, so the answer is probably no. But obviously, you know, for for many people, they have to be a bit more careful about where they spend their money. You know, these days when when everything else has become so much more expensive. But it's not stopping people. So it's not stopping me, even though, like you know, as I just said, yeah, I need to be a little bit more discriminating about what I spend the money on. Um, and just sadly, for the moment, Electric State doesn't 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 make the cut. The, doesn't make the cut. That said, I mean, I I will get the chance to have a good look at it when it comes out. Obviously, it'll be on on sale through the um you know through conventions and stuff. So I'll get a good look at it, and mm-hmm. um, I'm, I may well buy it in future. But for for now, I'm gonna leave the uh, leave the Kickstarter to as you say to the four thousand and thirty nine backers who've already backed it so far. Yes, absolutely. Um, Well done to those. Uh, And you're right, because the very next news item we have proves that that people do buy role-playing games, uh, if not on Kickstarter. Um, This Um, game is being launched on Backerkit, and we will put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, It's a similar platform, and it made a million dollars in the first hour, I am told. (laughs) Uh, uh, mm. So, bam! Uh, that's had so far um, fifteen thousand backers. It's got two million, two and three quarter million dollars, give or take a few cents, um, and it's still got twenty six days left to run. Yeah. And this is the amazingly titled and evocatively titled <laughs> MCDM RPG. Yeah. Which obviously has got to be something about Romans because it's got like Roman numerals in the uh, in in the title. I think not. So obviously, I expect you to know all about. <laughs> no, you don't know all about it, Dave. Dave? I, I, well, I, so I, I've I've heard, you know, obviously the news about it. I've I've, I've read a little bit about it. Um, so yeah, MCDM RPG. Uh, I can't remember what all the MCs, Ds, and M stand for, but Matt Colville, um, Dungeon Master. Come yeah. on, mate. <clears throat> Yeah, it's not well, that I, I, hard to... <laughs> no, it's not. But I, it's not. It's not the area that I follow. I, it's an interesting kind of demonstration of. 
I mean, actually, it would be interesting when it's finished. So if you take something like this, which has been obviously su supremely popular, uh, Matt Colville was obviously very um, confident it would do well because their goal was $800,000 in the first case. And that's that's mm. a pretty ballsy goal to go for. That's a lot of money. Um, yeah. But again, you know, playing into the MCDM fan base, the Dungeons and Dragons fan base, and you know they've got three times the number of backers already um, to what free, you know, to, to, to those that Free League have got for Electric State. They're not necessarily great direct comparisons, but just as a kind of rough, rough rule of thumb, you know that's three times the amount of backers in I don't know what a third of the time or less, a quarter of the time. Um, it just demonstrates the scale of the the market, I think, for D and D as opposed to non D and D role playing games. It probably yeah. Although this actually. is very firmly not D and D, Dave. Well, uh, his yeah. previous I mean, Kickstarters that's... have all kind of been supplements for Fifth Edition, but this is, and I quote, a brand new game built from the ground up to give you a better system for running. A better game. Yeah. Did my sarcasm come through there? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, I cool. Mean, That's good. It, it looks very D&D-ish. Um, it does. It the, has yeah, beholders the, on page one. The, it does. It has beholders with many eyes and some fancy armour. And the art looks nice. I, I like the art. The art's, you know, cool. Um, but I, I, think, I think beholders have been done before. Have they? Maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's popular. It's doing well. Um, I don't know a great deal else about it, actually, about what the mechanics are going are going to be about. I mean, I don't know. It, yeah, I mean, it, it, it feels to me that they're trying very hard to say it's not D&D. It's something different. So, you know, come and try it when actually everything they say makes it feel just like it's D&D. Yes, um, so describing it, uh, a fantasy RPG where your character starts at level one. Um, already Yes, it's kind of D&D-esque. Uh, <laughs> however, it says you can absolutely run epic games with, ex with heroes exploring dungeons, but this game is not about dungeon crawling. You don't track torches or rations or worry about running out of light, which is the way most people play D&D, to be brutal. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not convinced it's not D&D. Um, I mean, it says here under, under what the game is. It doesn't really say what the game is. It, it, it says no. there's three, there three paragraphs and it says the first one that you just mentioned, you, you get a character who starts at level one who's already a hero. Um, the second paragraph is, it says, well, basically says this game makes building adventures and fighting monsters fun. I guess implying that doing that in D&D isn't fun anymore. Um, and then the last thing it says is any story you're running in your current RPG, you can do in this one. Um, mm -hmm. So it doesn't say what the game is at all, actually. Um, and well, then it says what uh, the game is. It says it. Yeah, go on. There's something about the mechanics, which I think is where it does diversify from D&D, &D, is that it uses a 2D6 and a handful of D4s and D8s. So 
when you attack, you roll 2d6 at one of your attributes, and that is how much damage you do. So you can't miss in this game. Mm. Um, you just uh, always hit every time you fight. And also that damage, you know, that suddenly when you've got 2d6 involved as opposed to a plain d20, and I hate your d20, so, you know, this might be my version of D&D. Uh, we've now got a curve where, you know, on average, you're going to hit seven or eight being your your your, your most likely number. And, um, you know, if Plus you're really your crappy, yeah. um, you're, you're going to only get two. And if you're really lucky, you're going to get uh, 12. So that immediately now gives me an idea about how <clears> it's <throat> different from D&D. But I think yeah. apart from that, the dressing, the setting... Which uh, so, they've so just on, somewhere. Just on, hang on, just before we get onto the setting, just on that point though, I you know it says here so, you know you, you cannot miss. No more wasted turns. No more burning resources on spells. Only for your target to save. Isn't that half the fun though? I mean, you're up against you know hitting hitting every time. It's basically you're you're not even rolling to hit. You're just rolling damage. So isn't yeah. that less fun? I mean, you get into a fight. You're, you've got a boss monster ahead of you that's got let's say a hundred hit points. And just each round, everyone just rolls their damage. Yeah. That isn't that yeah. really boring. And instead of um, instead of uh, missing, then you know that you'll be really bored when you just do two points of damage. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not particularly grabbing me. I've got to say. No, um, I agree. Yeah. I love Forbidden Lands, and um, you know, and you think about the fighting there, where you do miss sometimes. Uh, that that misses part of the narrative of the fight. I just love exactly. the way the yeah. fights in Forbidden Lands build a narrative. I I just love it, and this yeah. just already feels like a slog. If you just realise, well, you know, obviously what I want to do is hit twelve and get maximum damage, um, rather so, than get double one and get minimum damage. Yeah, time. and and this, so this this feels very much like it's taken, like say, World of Warcraft, in it at its worst. And to put it into into a, a role playing game because in the, you know, at the worst in World of Warcraft in a boss fight you'll press two or three buttons you know if you're a mage you'll cast uh, you know ice lance a couple of times get the buff and then cast frostbolt and then you'll you know rinse and repeat and that's a big criticism of World of Warcraft so you know B um, Blizzard have done an awful lot to try and get the the tactical um, you know the tactics you've got to use to win the fight makes it much more exciting and much more interesting. And there are things you have to do and you might miss or you might fail or whatever in doing that. And succeeding in doing that is the way to win the battle because in WoW, you can't miss. Okay, your enemy can save, but your attack will always hit. Um, and this feels like it's just like a tabletop pen and paper version of the same thing. Pulling out the worst bit of that kind of WoW boss fight and turning it into into a role-playing game. Yeah, I don't like the idea you can't miss, actually. The more I think mm. about it, the less I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Not for me. Not for you. Okay. Um, uh, the other sorry, yeah, interesting you, you thing... You were talking I, about the setting. I, yeah, sorry. Go on. Well, yeah, sorry, I've got, I've got something to talk about, but I'll just notice something else. This introduces into the shall we call it the F20 genre, even though I know it's not a D20 anymore. Uh, it introduces rules for negotiation where your stats have, uh, 
or not your stats, but the NPCs have stats like patience and interest. So you can talk to your monsters. <laughs> um, so uh, I think that will only uh, carry on creating the stop stop speaking to my experience points uh, meme I mean, of, of D&D. Yeah, I mean, again, um, it says I mean, certain NPCs can be negotiated with to get them to change their allegiance or reconsider their actions. Technically, any NPC can be negotiated with, but there's usually only one per adventure. Yeah. Why? This is about why, killing why? monsters. Yeah, this is about this is about dungeon crawling and killing the boss monster at um, the end of the dungeon. Killing monsters in environments that may or may not be dungeons. Let's be really clear on that one. That's yeah, yeah. But I mean, you can you, you can have a you can have a dungeon crawl through a forest. It's still a dungeon crawl, mm-hmm. just because you're not in a tunnel. You know, it's it's still a dungeon crawl where you go from one place to another and kill the next monster and kill the next monster until you reach the boss monster. Then you kill the boss monster. Doesn't matter where the fuck you do that. That's the dungeon crawl. Yeah. Um, Also, the setting is um, not massively different from anything. It's a Western European fantasy, medieval fantasy setting. Um, uh, But one of the things I read somewhere, I can't see it on the page here, but something I read, which is obviously in the same format as the page, was um, uh, saying, oh, but we're going to have cities too. Um, And I can't see that here, but... Never mind. They are going to have cities as well. So, so yeah. Yeah. I just remember, you know, like 1981 or 1982 when Judges Guild started doing weird shit for D&D that included wildernesses and cities. It feels yeah. we've gone back to that time. And, mm. um, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's not... I think we're both saying we're not going to back this. No, I mean it's something I was never going to back anyway because I'm I'm not into that kind of D and D style fantasy game anymore. Um, well, but, apart from I mean, lands, yeah, but that's not a D and D style game in terms of. <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the the great thing with most free league games is that they are brutal, and if you make a misstep, you may well pay for that with your life. Mm. And that is great. I love that. That is one of the best things. We were talking about Coriolis the other day on the Discord and having a yeah. conversation about what you know what some people think was a bad thing in the game, you know, crit farming, which I, I don't mm. like that phrase, actually. Crit farming. I'm not farming crits. I just want to put the bastard down quickly because if I don't, <laughs> if I don't, he'll crit me. And so yeah. going, going, going for the crit is a obvious and natural thing to go for in Coriolis, but it makes the game utterly brutal. And I love that. Um, I mean, one of our one of our um, patrons, uh, Paul Noble, was talking about well, why then have like effectively double the hit points that in Coriolis that you would have in in in, in most in other, um, in other yeah, free league games, engines. and that's a, yeah. that, and that's a fair that's a fair point actually. I, I think that point is a good one, but I don't think it takes away from the fact that the um, you know the the crit farming. If that's the word you want to use, I don't like it. The the trying to achieve a crit quickly is uh, kind of a key element in the game because otherwise you're going to get yourself killed because the game is brutal. Yeah, and I and I love uh, that. And games like this, like D and D, that become a hit point slog fest, and this is even worse, I think, because all you're doing is rolling damage. You don't even get damage. to say, "Yeah, I'm I'm going to charge in and I'm going to try and swing off the chandelier and and land behind him and stick my sword between his," you know. You can say yeah, sure, that, roll but damage. It does, 
But it doesn't matter. You just say, okay, all right, you've done it. Great, well done. Roll your damage. Oh, I got four damage. Oh, that was boring. So I don't think oh. it adds anything to that. Whereas they say, Forbidden Lands, the, the, the real, real risk of character death um, adds really adds attention to the game that you don't get in D&D-style slogfests. Yeah, I mean, I guess there are players out there who really don't enjoy character death. And I remember no, on your birthday, enough. Dave, yeah. you weren't particularly enjoying character death. <laughs> no, I, 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 I got very pouty about character death. <laughs> Although, but, but in hindsight, in hindsight... You I think you were wrong to once, be pounty. Yeah, yeah. I should yeah, have just I, let I, him die. I'm aware of that. That, was yeah. my, that was my mistake. And I think partly because we'd only played that character a couple of times. We'd spent a long time building up the character and the background backstory, yeah. before we got to play it. And having, obviously, the close link with Tony, who was my twin brother. Um, only for it all to yeah. be thrown away on 166. <laughs> but actually, in hindsight, that would have made the better story. And, yeah, um, I, I mean, I've, I've loved I've loved playing Yafet since then, and there was a mechanical way of retconning it so he didn't die, um, but it was a bit tenuous, and it was done because yeah. it was my birthday, and I was a bit pouty about it. Um, but I shouldn't. Sorry I should have. Yeah. No, no, that's fine. It's fine. I should have sucked it up. You know, Mayor Culpa. I should have sucked it up. I should have taken it. I should have rolled a new character, and the story just moved on. But that you know, Yafet's yeah. death in that moment was a critical part, an exciting part of the story. Which which we missed because I pouted and you then you then relented and let me get away with it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Let's moving on. And maybe I should have been tougher and not relented. But I did roll that behind the screen and I generally Yeah, you should have yeah. Roll you should have rolled it in ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um now me. moving on to um maybe a game that we might back, I guess. Having already talked about two games that we're probably not gonna back. Um uh, Artalsorian's new game. Now you're the Artalsorian games expert, Dave. Am I? What could you tell me about Shadow Scar? I can tell you nothing because I hadn't heard anything about it until it was appeared on our show notes. So um, <laughs> on our running order. So you tell me about it, mate. So I don't know much about it. I don't think it's hitting Kickstarter quite yet. Um, and uh, but it's an interesting. It's a, it's a new system. Um, from Artal Saurian that they're calling the Mosaic System, and it's um, and it harks back to stuff like Targ in that it's kind of multiversal. So I'm guessing you have characters, you know, you you can have you can have cyberpunks, but they can be fighting in feudal Japan uh, or or whatever, uh, or a feudal J- Japan inspired world. I only say that because the cover is a great big fuck off feudal Japan scene. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but without any cyberpunks in it. So I don't actually know. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, but I thought, you know, it's interesting that Artel Saurian are, um, uh, are not resting on their cyberpunk laurels and, are, you know, stretching themselves and going for something new. So I'll be interested to keep an eye on it. As I say, it's by uh, no means a dead cert buy. And in fact, with my new New Year's motto, I probably won't buy it. But... Um, mm. Uh, I'll be interested to see what the mosaic system actually mm. involves because I I got the um the quick start for Cyberpunk Red and it, it felt really dated. Yeah. And it, you know, I, I love the old Cyberpunk twenty twenty, played loads of that in the past. Um 
and I, you know, I then went back to Cyberpunk 2020 to look at the rules there again, and they feel really dated. So mm. I don't know, you know, my Cyberpunk 2020. They are really game, dated. That's why. Yeah, well, yeah, they are. But the, at the time, I loved it, and I played a lot of it. I ran a lot of it, and it was great. But I think it was it was a game of its time, and I I won't be running Cyberpunk 2020 again. I don't think ever. I won't run Cyberpunk Red. I don't think it hasn't got me excited enough about the cyberpunk genre i think maybe i'm a bit tired on the cyberpunk genre generally um i am a player in a in a game which i'm really enjoying but again it's it it suffers in terms of combat from that whole like damage slog thing so we had a couple of games where we've had we've had fights i'm a solo i'm pretty tough i'm pretty good with a gun um and i could basically hose down a bad guy with my assault rifle and barely scratch him so it just feels mm. i prefer the games that are more that are less hit points grindy and are more you know one hit from a, a burst from an assault rifle is likely to put you down even if it doesn't kill you it's going to take you out of the fight so i, I find that the, the, the fighting can get a bit boring um because it just drags on a bit but um where was I going? Yeah, so the mosaic system. I'd be really interested to see what that is and if it does something a bit different and a bit interesting and a bit more exciting. Um, if it goes with the old cyberpunk system, um, you know, as a no, basis. No, it's definitely for, not the cyberpunk yeah. system. We're looking no. at uh, a dice pool system. Um, I've just I've, I've just gone to N-World. Maybe we'll put a link to the N-World okay, cool. notes as well. Uh, so they've they, they've obviously had some insight Um Dice pool system, uh, threes and more counter successes and sixes counters two successes. And then you have to get a number of successes to... Um, to succeed. To succeed, which is immediately uh, actually slightly turning me off. I don't know how many dice you're rolling, but that feels a lot like um, the Airship Pirates game that I tried to yeah. start a campaign in years ago. And as a GM... I quickly grew tired of that system, partly because of the trying to count all the, you know, successes or whatever, um, and yeah. and tally them up. Uh, there were quite a lot of dice in um, in that particular dice pool, but I didn't enjoy it. And one of the things I love about Year Zero is a six is success, and Just a single six forward. is enough successes. Yeah. yeah. Um. It'll be interesting, but to it's see. a I mean, lighter so. experience. Um, it says than um, the goal was to create a system that you pick up more quickly and play very easily compared to um, the interlock system, which they use for yeah. Cyberpunk. Yeah, <clears throat> and they they say well, there was a bit here about about the mosaic. Yeah, so you know, Shadow Scar, a, a game of action and intrigue across a mosaic of worlds. Um, mm. that's. Fine. I mean, I, I've I've never been a big fan of kind of crossing genres. So, like you no. saying, the idea of cyberpunk characters doing stuff in a, a traditional Japanese samurai, you know, environment doesn't excite me at all. I think that's just it just jars. Um, and I think mm. it was one of the things that when we were talking to Free League about um, Tales of the Old West, and Nilsson, the other guys were sort of giving us some some advice from their experience and, and you know their key advice was what is the one thing this game is about what is what are mm-hmm. you doing in this game what is the one thing um 
And a game like this, where you're doing lots of stuff across a mosaic of worlds, I think breaks that rule very quickly. And and therefore, for yeah. me anyway, makes it less enticing. I mean, I might well enjoy it very much, given the chance. And I would definitely be interested to see how the mosaic system works. Um, but just that general thing, it just feels a bit too nebulous for me to go, oh, I'm a knight in 1990s New York, or I'm a I'm a I'm a ninja in ancient Rome or you know none of those things they all feel a bit weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, I have I I I mean but a lot of people like that sort of stuff so we should not let hmm. our own prejudices do no, that. No, no, I'm not um, saying it, I'm not saying it's generally shit. I'm just saying it doesn't work for me. Obviously there'll be people who yeah. love that kind of thing. Um, it's just not. Yeah, it's, it's just interesting not my, looking my at this M World article that's got you know a few more pictures from it. There's one that's very demony, and actually I'm reading here. There's it's it's kind of based on loads of anime things: Naruto, Demon Slayer, okay. uh, Samurai, uh, Champloo, and Cowboy Bebop. Um, so yeah, there's a very uh, Japanese anime style demon in one page. Then we come back to that uh, temple. Japanese temple gateway that we saw in the um, in the press release, but then there's a um, New York or Chicago gangland scene, um, and then there's um, a tower bridge and airships in a very steampunky version of London. Okay. Uh, but I noticed with all of these, actually, there is a kind of Japanese person with long hair. Um, in the foreground watching the scene. So I think, um, I think it, rather than cyberpunks in, in, in Japan, it may well be Japanese samurai, uh, going around the world, uh, or going round the worlds, um, mm. observing and interacting with the strange other cultures. Yeah. Okay. Still, that sounds at the moment, like it's three for three in games that we're not going to rush out to the Kickstarter. For. <laughs> It looks like it, doesn't it? <clears throat> what else have we got to talk about? We've got Doug. Doug, our oh, old yes. friend of the show, Doug, from v, uh, Victory Condition Gaming and from the... Um, I'm suddenly realising we've not seen many uh, Free League updates from Doug, actually, recently, but from the Free League YouTube channel. Um, Doug is the star of two... Well, a star, shall we say, in Two Little Mice's um supplement for outgunned mm. and he looks very dapper and suave in his little his pink outfit with his pink sunglasses he um yeah he's i been i wonder whether they met him at gen con i think where so, he, yeah. he was definitely wearing that outfit and they meet him at gen con and go oh, you're so good looking we must put you in our in our supplement um <laughs> However, he is a hired gun, and what I love about his trope is he's a magnificent bastard. <laughs> uh, yes. So, well, uh, you know, that, that, that's where life is, art is echoing life there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know whether he's just an NPC or he looks like he's on a character sheet, so he could be a character template one can pick up mm, and put cool. in all sorts of dangerous situations in an attempt to virtually kill Doug. Who um, <laughs> I just wonder. I mean, I know he's a friend of the show and a support of our, or at least he used to support our Patreon. I don't know whether he still does, but he's still on the Discord. Hmm, let's investigate that. Um, uh, even though he is a 
a patron or an ex-patron. Either way, he has supported us. I just wonder whether we should make him our new nemesis because uh, we haven't had a nemesis for some time. And if he's a magnificent <laughs> yep. bastard hired gun, then he could be a good one, eh? Although he's too nice to be a nemesis. He is. He's lovely, though. Yeah, I'm not sure that he can't be a nemesis. It's a, it's a, it's a tough one. Yeah. Unless we'll we make... turn evil, Dave. Should we just be <laughs> evil and then he can be our good guy nemesis? Yeah, okay. Done. Cool. Okay. <laughs> deal, deal struck. Okay. Yeah, Doug, you bastard. You're our nemesis because you're too good. <laughs> too, ni- too nice. Damn you. Too stylish. Damn you, Doug. See, yes. See, I could, ne- I could never get away with wearing a pink jacket and pink sunglasses. I would just look like a fat guy being a bit of an idiot. But Doug pulls it off superbly. He does. He does, yeah. He does. I mean, to be fair, Dave, you are a fat guy being a bit of an idiot most of the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was fair, fair enough. Fair point. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, um, I thought I thought, uh, I thought it was something else because we, we 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 I'm going to ask you about Dragon Meat because obviously I couldn't I couldn't go uh, sadly this year yeah. so you 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 filled in but one thing I just thought um just brief, briefly say so tomorrow evening at the time of recording which is Monday the 11th of December me Douglas from our uh, from our Discord are being hosted by um, Raul Danesh Frank uh, Frank Graf. And we are talking about The Walking Dead on his Ooh. channel. Now, I'm not sure whether we're planning to do it live. I think we are. So 2100 GMT, 11th of December, if you're hearing this before then. If not, it'll be on Frank Frank's um, YouTube channel. So Raldanash is his handle. Um, yeah, we'll put uh, it yeah, in the show notes, that. And he's, and he's asking us um, on to talk a bit about Walking Dead, because both Doug and I have done a bit of um you know playing of the game and running of the game so yeah just mm-hmm. a shout out for that so come and have a listen come and have a watch um hopefully it should be a, a good fun good fun chat and i am actually the more i look into the walking dead the more i'm liking it it's definitely got now, something about the feel of it that's that's getting its claws into me i was looking at the walking dead and i think you might have the threat rules wrong i don't think i have because i reread them but i think I think they, I just need to be more imaginative as a GM in how I apply them. Yeah, so I, that's I what think, I was going to uh, say, actually. Yeah. It isn't so much you've got them wrong in that, by all means, it says increase the threat level or... Um, uh, have an, have an or attack from a walker. Yeah, Have an attack, all that sort of stuff. But it then also says, like, um, a bunch of other effects that are more like uh, yeah. mishaps that you could yeah, just absolutely. do, which, you know, we do neither of those things. And I think... What you may, you know, it's one of those ones where when you're asking a GM to come up with a, with another, you know, if you, if in effect, uh, an additional effect to the hit or miss or whatever's going on in the game, uh, then maybe the GM uh, is, uh, runs out of imagination and relies so, instead so, on, on simply yeah. doing the easy ones. That, so I, that's I don't want to, with the old Star Wars system. Mm, I don't, I don't want to, I like, say the um, I don't want to sort of like cover off some of the stuff I might talk to Frank about um, and Douglas, but I, once I got the hard copy book, cause I was, I was running it off the PDF, which I don't like doing anyway. Mm. Um, I basically went through it again and I've done myself a bit of a cheat sheet for some of the bits of rules that are dotted about the book, 
which are really useful to have in front of you. And one of those mm-hmm. is just the these are your various options as a you know as a starter for ten for what you can do when you mess up. So that would help yeah. me in the game be a bit more imaginative off the top of my head about doing something that's a bit different. It also says um, if you can't think of anything, don't worry, just ignore it. So I yeah. think that's always an, that's always an option as well. So I so yeah. so I think I had the rules right. I wasn't applying them properly because I wasn't referring back to the rule book because it was on a PDF. Um, so I was missing some of those nuances. Um, and I am I am enjoying the game very much. Cool, cool. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, tomorrow, okay. yeah, so th- Monday the 11th of December, 2100, Frank's channel. Excellent call out. Excellent call out. We'll, but, um, but yeah, so I was just going to say, right, tell me all about Dragon Meat then, mate. Um. So, Dragon Meat, uh, it went a lot better without you, Dave. <laughs> no, it didn't actually. We didn't. We um, Weirdly, and I don't remember this happening. I remember last time you and I were at Dragon Meat, we were run ragged. There wasn't a moment yeah. all day where you, you could hardly have time to go to the loo. And obviously, I know that you having a pee is a high priority in any situation. <laughs> it is. Um yeah. At any point after 10 minutes since you last went to have a pee. Um, <laughs> it is. It's my it's my cross that I have to bear. Uh, so, uh, so I remember that happening. And it felt to me that distinctly we, were, we had a really busy morning. And then at some point in the afternoon, I can't be really clear at the time, I suddenly realised, oh, oh, you know, we've got to, you know... I think actually it was interesting and it was a time when I'd sent Lily on a break and uh, for a moment then when, if you like, because there are only two of us, we should have been at our busiest, I noticed that Tom and I were just standing around um, not not engaging with anybody in there. Okay. So it it feels to me that there was a slightly different flow and right. we didn't make as many transactions as we did last year. Uh, average transaction value was higher, uh, so that kind of evened it out. We made about the same money that we made last year, but we didn't cool. make any more, which is a bit of a pity. Um, it's not bad, though, because that's quite a high bar, actually, what we did the year before. Yeah. That's that's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, and we made more money day. in that day than we made at Comic-Con in all three days. It's worth Over three days, up. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we made more money in the first hour than we did in the first day at Comic-Con. <laughs> Yeah. Um, oh well. So yeah, it says something. Yeah, I think I think we're learning that you know. Um, but also the good news I heard there is uh, I met um, uh, Alfred Maz from from Rowan Rick and Deckard, and cool. she mentioned yeah. that uh, Freely got their money back for Comic Con. So um, yeah, which is so good. I don't feel which is kind of yeah, kind of least they could do really under the circumstances. Oh, absolutely. Well, no, I guess the least they could have done for Free League, given that Free League goes to a lot of their... Uh, this is Reed Pop, who's the organiser of Comic-Con. They also yeah. organise all the pack shows in America, and uh, indeed there was a pack show happening when we were at Dragon Beat. The least they could have done is given us a discount on all of those, but that wouldn't have affected all the other people who don't go to packs. whereas this way, no, I'm particularly no. keen that Ronrick and Deckard got their money back, and... Yeah, uh, Soul Muppet got their money back, and Annabelle got her money back, yeah, and absolutely. and that that really is her money. You know, that's not tied up necessarily. You know, that's no. kind of her life savings. That wasn't tied up in her company. So, um, so yeah, 
No, no, that's a great. win, yeah. a win for everybody. Yeah. So that that, so. that that was the most exciting bit of news, I guess, from Dragon Meat. Mm -hmm. um, what cool. else happened? My daughter was brilliant as uh, cool. as a stand-in for you. She signed loads of books. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> did she sign them, Andrew Gasker? <laughs> oh, of course, yes. Oh, I did get somebody somebody being a bit disappointed that Andrew Gasker wasn't on the stand selling uh, Building Better Worlds. Um, and I, I said that, obviously, uh, Building Better Worlds wasn't out yet, but we would be at UK Games Expo. And you would be very happy to sign copies of Building Better Worlds at UK Games Expo. Um Absolutely. As 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 the author, as 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 I've seen, I've got I've got a copy now, the PDF a review copy, and um, uh, there's your name up there in big lights, you and Andrew Gasker as lead writers. So that's good to see. Indeed. Um, now, where am I on this one? I think, yeah, my daughter, my daughter was brilliant because my daughter works in retail, so we have never had a tidier putting away of all the boxes. In the, uh, as we Excellent. emptied boxes to put them on, on the table. Oh, we had a big stand. That was one of the things that got me. We had a stand that was effectively about twice the size of the one that you and I had last year, which meant that we could put all the stock. You know, we only I mean, had the one we had last year was quite big. Yeah. yeah, well, this was this was longer, deeper. As it oh, wow. Were. Okay, cool. So we had plenty more side space to put the stock out. So we had all the stock out on the table from nice. moment one to the end of the day. Well, obviously, apart from what we sold. Uh, and then mm. uh, Lily, because she's efficient at that sort of stuff, then, we, you know, we just stuffed the boxes any old way under the table. But Lily, you know, deconstructed the boxes, folded them up, stuck them in another box. So we had like a <sighs> couple of boxes under the table of other boxes. Plus we had some that she didn't reconstruct. So I said, you know, we'd need some to um, to take stock back in. And in fact, actually, we needed to tape up some of the other boxes um, mm. uh, to put some of the stock back in. We... Um, we got, you know, uh, we gave stock. Well, we didn't give. We sold stock to uh, all rolled up as well, and yeah. to Leisure Games. So, cool. um, so there wasn't very much to take back to the warehouse. No, um, good, good, well done. So yeah, I thought Lily good. would be good. Yeah. I thought I thought she'd do a great job. She's uh, yeah. yeah, and I think cool. she's, you know, she she's she's new to gaming because she's only. I mean, we did do a few games of Fate when she was about sort of 11 to 14 ish uh and she and her brother were arguing over um lego and so i i got the fate rules out so to show them how they could adjudicate their 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 arguments over lego world adventures that they were having um and then then she played when i when i bought tom the star wars uh edge of the empire starter kit and he ran it he was only 10 or 11 then and she played in that game. But I think that was the last time she did any role-playing because there's this thing, which I thought was really interesting, where it struck me that her female compatriots at school were kind of saying, you know, well, girls don't do make-believe. You know, when you're nine, obviously there's lots of make-believe games. And I remember yeah. Lily being distraught when her friends with whom a year earlier she had been playing make-believe games said that's not what we do anymore we talk about music and makeup and stuff like that and she mm -hmm. didn't feel she knew enough about music to be part of that because we don't play contemporary pop music in our house yeah uh, or until then we we started doing it then so that she could uh, keep up with the charts and stuff so i thought that was interesting but now she's at university and 
it's got to say, within a very queer section at university, there's a lot of role playing going on. So um, mm. she's played yeah, cool. uh, games like Alice is Missing and stuff like that. Um, nice. And uh, she bought a copy of the Alien RPG rule set to give to one of her friends who is a gamer and a big role playing fan. And was she was in a game shop with this woman whose name I can't remember, Kaylee, I think her name is. Or Kylie, Kylie or Kaylee. I don't. I don't um, think. I don't think our listeners care, frankly. Yeah, but but she was very excited to see the alien role playing game existing cool. then, and so she's getting it for Christmas from from Lily. Nice. At a knockdown staff price, of course, because that's what you can do when you're working at uh, Free League. So <laughs> yes. yeah, good okay, fun was had cool. by all. Um, yeah, we good, sold a good, lot well of Walking Dead. Maybe not as we nice. had a huge stock of Walking Dead to sell. Uh, I was thinking it was going to be a bit like Blade Runner last year, which I seem to remember we didn't sell much of. We sold yeah, a lot of Walking Dead, though, a lot more. And nice. we sold a lot of Dragonbane as well, so that was good. Cool. And we sold a lot of Vesson, because Vesson is a perennial always, seller. Always yeah. sells, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nice, nice. That sounds good. Yeah, I was, I was sad to miss it, but, um, you know, circumstances were such that uh, that, that was the case. But um, onwards and upwards for UK Games Expo next year. Yeah. Yes. So we were talking about. Oh, oh, I can't remember exactly how the conversation started, but we ended up talking about um, kind of. Yeah. You know, what 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 is it about a game that that helps draw you in? And we were talking about kind of mechanical depth, and it wasn't just about it being simple, being good, or being complicated, being good. But it was a bit more involved in that. And so, uh, so I yeah, I had a few thoughts, and um, and here they are. Regular listeners of the show will know that Matt often accuses me of being too complex, especially when it comes to designing rule systems for role-playing games. Don't tell him I said this, but he may have a point. In our collaboration on Tales of the Old West, there have been times where I've put together rules for something, and Matt has replied with a comment, It's good, but it could be simpler. There have been times where he's been wrong where he said that again and again until there are effectively no rules left. Now, that is Matt's personal problem, that sometimes the obsessive drive for simplicity can take the stuffing out of a rule system and leave nothing behind. This, and a conversation on the Effect Discord channel, the nicest place on the internet, TM, got me thinking about what was important in a rule system, and I coined a phrase for the first time in my role-playing life, mechanical depth. Now, what do I mean by mechanical depth? That's a very good question. Just saying mechanical depth means something to me, but when I try to define exactly what I mean by it, it becomes a little bit harder. So let's start at the beginning. Let's define mechanics. I suspect that if I asked 10 people, I'd get 10 different answers. But for me, the mechanics of a game is the superstructure the scaffolding, the chassis, if you will, that you hang the whole game on. It needs to support the setting you're trying to evoke. It needs to deliver the action and the activities of the player characters and the NPCs. And it needs to hold this together while being as invisible as possible. To take the chassis analogy, when you admire a stunning car, you don't wow at the chassis, you don't even see the chassis. But without it, That car is just a messy collection of things that don't work together. And I think the same applies to role-playing games. And board games, too. 
but don't get me started on rule sets for some modern board games. Okay, so there's a starter for 10. Taking that as a working definition, what do I mean by depth? Well, what I don't mean is just system complexity. A game system might be relatively simple, but can still have mechanical depth. No, I mean how well the mechanics of the game bring forward the setting and the world, and how the characters interact in and with that world. Like Goldilocks and the Three Bears, I think there is a spectrum of just right that applies here, or maybe a bell curve from super simple to crunch of the month, and where any given player falls on that spectrum is down to their own individual preferences. But as a general rule of thumb, I'd say the following. If a rule set is too simple, you risk minimising the variables that apply in any given situation, and you can leave scenes feeling formulaic and repetitive. If a rule set is too simple, you don't allow enough variation across aspects of the game, like gear, weapons, skills and talents. This limits your player's ability to create unique characters, and damages the chances your players will really engage with their characters, as they're all basically the same. Players love to feel their character is special, has something unique to bring that others don't, and going too simple can destroy this opportunity for variation. As an aside, more and more games these days encourage the players to come to the table with a character concept in mind, and the PC and his or her stats are generated as a result of that concept. However, back in the day, you'd more often roll your stats, and those numbers would inform the kind of character you would create. I love this, and feel there's still plenty of room for this kind of character generation in modern games. But in these cases, oversimplicity in the mechanics can leave little room for interpretation of the numbers to build your character, as the numbers are too few and far between, and the stat variations are not granular enough. In many ways, life path systems are the common modern version of this latter approach, and that probably explains why I love them so much. If a rule set is too simple, it can leave the heavy lifting to get the game off the ground to the GM and the players, and that may put some people off. Then, on the other hand, if a rule set is too complicated, there is an issue of engagement in the first place. As an example, I have Star Wars Edge of the Empire, and have owned it for years, but the dice mechanic immediately put me off. All those bloody icons and different coloured dice and counters, it was too much for my tiny brain to grasp, and the book went back on the shelf. Now, literally a week ago, I played Edge of the Empire for the first time, and with help and guidance, I've seen that while the dice mechanic is a bit fiddly, it seems to work pretty well once you get the hang of it. But my initial impression of the game's mechanical depth took me out of my depth, and so I was pushed away from the game for years. I liken the concept of mechanical depth to that of actual depth, and getting into a game requires you to be able to swim to a certain level of competence. The simplest games are like paddling in the shallows. It's fun and easy and anyone can manage it without any effort. Pick up and play. Then mechanics get more complicated, but you're still within your depth. You can just touch the bottom, so it's not too big an effort to understand the game to the point where you can play it. Then you have to swim, but that's not much harder than still being able to touch the bottom. Then you get the games where you need to be able to scuba dive, 
where to get into them takes a lot of effort and sometimes that effort is worth it. And finally you have those mechanics that are down in the Marianas Trench where you need the most sophisticated of deep sea submersibles to get there alive. I have my own list of Marianas Trench RPGs. Which are yours? But to conclude, a simple rule system does not preclude a game from having mechanical depth, as long as the rules help evoke the setting and the player's ability to craft individual characters that have a unique place in the game or campaign. Similarly, complexity doesn't automatically equate to mechanical depth, as the depth of the game comes from how the rules are crafted, not just how many rules there are or how complex they are. Complexity, for complexity's sake, is a bad thing. Complexity that is crafted to draw out the setting and specifically enhance the player experience is a good thing. A good sign of a game that gets it right is one where there's lots of fan material out there, adding to a game rather than replacing large parts of it. A good sign of a game that gets it wrong is one where there's more homebrew rules out there than actual published game material. So, um, I think term mechanical depth well and truly coined, if uh, if it didn't exist already. We'll have to do a bit more research on that, see if we can find it <laughs> somewhere else. Um, I, I do take offence at one thing, though, Dave. You take offence at one thing? Yes, I do. Yeah, I do. Oh, excellent. Um, I, I, do like, I do like to offend you at least once a day. So that's cool. Excellent. Excellent. The, cool. There have been times where he's been wrong. I... Which is a backwards admission that there have been times when I'm right, obviously. Uh, where he said that again and again until there are no rules left. I have very, very rarely ended up with no rules. I, I, I was trying to think about a lot of the discussions. And if I'm going to generalise over the discussions, Dave, I think generally I say things should be simpler when, and this is going to be a generalisation, but broadly speaking... When, Dave, you roll a dice to see how many dice you're going to roll, then it could be simpler. Okay, remind and, me when I had a thing. Uh, I, I, I'm, I think there's a lot of that in, in, in the town generation and the seasonal stuff that, that doesn't exist anymore. So, so that's cool. We're, we're generally down to doing one roll. I mean, you could roll, you know, it doesn't mean you have to roll a single D6 every time, you know, and only have that but, uh, Actually, I think, I think I don't think it was rolling dice to there was to to decide how many dice you rolled. There was in an early iteration there were there were kind of two currencies, and you said mm, two currencies is probably one currency too many. I can't remember exactly what they were, but in the way that the town mechanics worked, and I then looked at it and I admit, as I said, occasionally you you might have a point. <laughs> and it was and it was better for that. So I think that was what you're probably thinking of. I don't think I've ever had a thing where roll a dice to see how many dice you get to roll. Um, but well, it's Sunday morning, and I've 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 definitely a thing about discussions. Yeah, but I'm sure there are some, and I'll I'll bring them up at a future time when I can remember what they actually are. But um, but yeah, so but, uh, but, so general simplicity I, I like <clears throat> in terms of dice rolling. I you know. I generally like roll a dice once when there are multiple dice rolls, even if it's not necessarily roll a dice and then another dice. Uh, I, you know, I kind of like rather than making multiple rolls, 
let let's change if you like the dice ball and change the probability with a single roll. I think that's my thing. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's interesting. There's two things there. I mean, I think there's a there's a difference between rolling dice for a valid reason or excessive dice rolling because you know you just wanted you know to add more elements to the mechanics and by what i mean by that is i part of the game i love rolling dice yeah so i, I think know part that's your the, problem Dave. part of the part of the thing i i didn't enjoy too much about simbroom which is why i changed it slightly was the whole player facing thing where as a gm i never got to roll a dice all session which actually is really quite boring i want to roll the dice either as a gm or as a player um and that's you know that is a that is a tense exciting moment when the dice is being rolled and it's 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 tense and exciting when anybody's doing it, but it's it's particularly exciting and tense when you're doing it, um, either as a player or as a GM. So I think, um, I think there's like I said in the in the in the piece, there, I think there's a just right, there's a sweet spot, there's a Goldilocks zone, where you yeah. get just enough dice rolling, but not too much dice rolling, and that Goldilocks zone will move depending upon a person's personal preferences. Some Absolutely. people would like to do loads, so, loads of dice rolling. Some people would like to do as little as possible. But yeah, for me, there is there. You know, um, I agree. I think you know, kind of like um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, offensive is the wrong word, but like, um, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, bloody hell, my bloody brain! Um, like excessive dice rolling for the sake of dice rolling, we don't need that. But no, a no. dice roll that gives you something and gives you a moment of tension, then yes, I think you should yeah. probably look at including that unless there's a really good reason not to. Um, and I think, you know, uh, so I think I have to take a, a vehement disagreement with you over uh, Simba Room, actually. I, I mean, not a vehement disagreement, that's the wrong thing to say. I let you make the house hall because I know how much you like rolling dice. But I didn't think it was necessary and it maybe even made the game less enjoyable for me. But, of course, I got to all of the dice because I was one of the players. Um, so, so yeah. I, yeah, I think I, that, can, that, that, that player-facing idea can work for some people. I still enjoyed running it when I did it at Rules as Written. Um, mm-hmm. I, just, I just felt, as a, as a participant in that game session, I missed out a little bit because I... I just got to sit there on the sidelines and watch you guys doing all the fun dice rolling, and I didn't get to partake in any of that. And it, yeah, in some senses, that 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 dynamic pushes the GM more into the person who is providing an experience for the players rather than a person who is equally is being at, around the table to have fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, like you say, GMs are players too; they're just playing a slightly different role. And now, um, finally, you agree with me. <laughs> that's sorry. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, actually, it anyway, it comes sorry. back to uh, uh, yeah. But I couldn't resist the attempt to say it. I know. Um, I know. It comes back actually <laughs> to that Matt Colville discussion we had, where um, you know the, it, his his thesis set out in that new game is oh nobody likes rolling to hit and then rolling damage, so let's just have the roll for damage effectively. Yeah. Um and actually I prefer the free league system because 
that is a roll to hit and and damage. Um, yes. You know, you, yeah. you get to know how much damage you deal because if you get more successes, you're dealing more than the base damage and the base damage is there, <clears throat> you know, barring any armor that um, somebody might yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, but, you know, but again, this is a minor, minor criticism of war stories and I can understand why you've done it, but I don't like the subsequent damage crit rolls that come in war stories mm. as much as I like the cleanness of the of, yeah. of base year zero for that. Um, yeah, I, I, I can mention a little bit about why why Gabe wanted it that way uh, in a moment. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so so talking about that attack, so you know, of the two dice rolls, the one trying to hit the monster or the enemy, and the one about how much damage you inflict, the most exciting of those two rolls is the one about whether you hit them or not. Because that's got the narrative thing. You, you know, if you're going to miss them, that's a really bad thing and bad things are going to happen because, you know, you haven't affected your enemy. Yeah. Um, if you hit them, that's great. Brilliant. I finally hit the bastard. I'm going to put him down. That's That's got the tension in it. Rolling the damage doesn't have that same tension. No. Because it's just... No. And know, in fact, got, you know, you've got your roll hit crappy you've, damage you know. after your hit is really anticlimactic to me. Yeah. But there's also a bit of tension in there because of the two roll, you got the first roll, and you know that you know it's a hit or a miss roll, and there's excitement and tension about that. You know, you, it's unpredictable, and yes, great, I've hit, and then you roll your damage, and then you get you know, but the, the tension of that roll is then increased by the fact that you succeeded on the hit roll. Because now, great, I've hit, I've finally hit him. Now I need to do some good damage. And you roll the dice, and it's like, oh no, I got one damage. Or, yes, I got ten damage. Um, there's a tension added to that roll. You know, it's, it, it's, 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 um, the tension is taken from your attack roll and placed into your damage roll because you succeeded at the attack roll, if you see where I'm going with all of this. Yeah, and I um, don't like that. You know, what I like is, um, oh yes, I've rolled a lot of dice. You know, I've rolled a lot of success on my on my attack roll. So not only have I hit him, I've given him a really good hit. To give you an example yeah, yeah. of where I've, yeah, I I'm, feel... I'm not, I'm, not compl- I'm not complaining about your way of yeah. doing because I love that as well. I, I love that as well. I'm just saying, if you are... I'm, I'm kind of thinking about the, do you just roll to hit or do you just roll damage in Matt Colville's approach? And actually, by doing it his way, I think you kind of get the worst of all worlds. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of the tension you get on those dice rolls. But yeah, sorry, go on, go on. Because I think there is, you know, there's a, there's a thing where you're, yeah, for, what, for want of a better word, let's go right back to uh, basics here. Something's got a high defense value, so they're going to be really hard to hit, uh, hmm. whatever it is. And so, you know, you've got to get on a D20, you've got to get a 19 or 20. Wham! You've got a 19. Not a critical hit, but still, you've got a 19. Whoa! The, the thrill of getting that out of, yeah. um, you know, very small chance. That's a great feeling. And then you roll a poxy one on your damage dice or whatever. Yes. I speak to the uh, Savage Worlds that we were playing at the weekend. Um, <laughs> you know, the number of times we, we, that we, we... We were never hitting. No, that was the yeah. problem with that one. Well, but then when we did hit, sometimes we'd then roll two ones or whatever on, on, on the damage. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I I didn't like that. And I kind of, there is that thing again where I like to do more damage. It's the narrative. So let's, let's, let's pull this apart a bit and come back to the Freely games we love. 
you could argue, well, hold on, there's no fewer dice rolls because you're pushing your dice, so you're actually rolling twice anyway most of the time. And particularly yeah. if you're crit farming, as uh, as, as we were talking in about Coriolis, in Coriolis. Yeah. Um, so, yes, okay, so you're rolling twice there, you're not actually doing... But, but still, you're rolling for that one attack. And there, I'm moving away from Coriolis back to Forbidden Lands... There's a narrative that's built there in that you kind of, you know, you're not quite reaching far enough. You give it that extra thing at the risk of straining your arm or whatever. Oh, no, I've done them some damage. Yeah, I've overstretched myself. I'm really sore now. I've lost a point of um, strength myself. But I have, I've hit them and I've hit them with my axe and that does three points of damage. And with that second roll, actually, I, you know, I made it a harder hit. So they're down. They're out like that. Job done. I made the sacrifice yeah. and they're out. Or sometimes I made the sacrifice and my bow broke. I'm thinking of Andy Gibbs's character here and they haven't got any more damage <laughs> yeah. by my bow. You know, you, they, that narrative flow in that simple action for me is very satisfying as opposed to yeah. just rolling how much damage. Ran over. No, so I, that I, is where I the agree. mechanical I depth, agree. though, yeah. does something... It, I don't want to say it simulates because I think if I'm going to throw criticism at some of your more complex rules, it, your excuse is, or not your excuse, I, your valid uh, your valid reason <laughs> for adding more dice rolls is that you're trying to simulate something that's real and complex. And you know what? The world doesn't just work on a roll of a D6. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, probability is hard when you're talking about weather and stuff. Uh, and so in your in your effort of simulation, you you, you add more mechanics to it and... And I guess what I'm coming back to saying is, uh, you know, why why make all those rules do that thing or all those currencies to do that thing when actually a simple a simple one is is generally better. Not no rules, but simpler rules. And um, I've lost my thread now. Uh, mm, yeah, you're trying yeah. to simulate, and, and I think that there's a sweet spot between trying to be simulated, but I'm I'm really interested in what the narrative is. And when the mm. when the mechanics create a narrative of the fight in your head, or of you know whatever action you're doing, then that's cool. Um, and sometimes we may yeah. go a bit too far towards creating that narrative and rolling too many dice, which then becomes a chore. I'll shut up now. Yeah, no, no, no. That's all. That's all very valid. So I, I guess my my point around mechanical depth is um, as you simplify, there is a point where you simplify, you can simplify too far and you take out some of that mechanical um, uh, kind of workings that that help drive the narrative and help the feel of the game. And if you get to that point, then it's then it, it kind of spoils it because your your mechanics aren't doing enough of the lifting to help the game run. Um that's, I guess, I think that's my point about the sweet spot, the Goldilocks zone in in mechanical depth, in mm. um, in in how uh, in, in how yeah. that allows a, a game to run well, whilst not, and you know, say so that my my third point about the whole the idea of mechanics is they should be invisible. If you're constantly having to worry about the mechanics of the game, then they're getting in the way of telling the story. So yes. if they are invisible or they are so so. Um, smooth or so nuanced that actually you don't notice them giving you that narrative and giving you that help in in immersing you in the game then that's the real sweet spot 
for a yeah. for like mechanical depth. And again, when I when I talk of simplicity, it. it's about in a way trying to make the 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 rules unnoticeable while still getting Get out of the way. Yeah. So I mean, we're talking. Yeah. You know, we have the same aim. It's just that you know you need me to edit your dice rolls occasionally. That's all. <laughs> well, I think uh, I, I, I do. No, no, I, I recognise exactly the point that you're making about you know there there are things that I want to recreate in a game that I think are really exciting, and if if you can get a bit of bit of the nuances, a bit of the complexity in there, then it, it's actually really adds to it for a player like me. Um, you're the little devil or angel sat on my shoulder, constantly reminding me that maybe look at it again and maybe if it's a bit simpler it will be better and usually not necessarily always but usually it is better when i take a step back and take your advice and try and simplify it a bit i mean there's there's a very interesting there's a very interesting point you know necessity is the mother of invention and with building better worlds the the colony building stuff that i'd originally done was basically twice the length it needed to be and so mm-hmm. Nilsson and Thomas came back to in, me. In said, word yeah, count, you, to, you mean? In word count. And came yeah. back to me and said, you've got to get this down to, you know, 11,000 words or whatever it ended up being. Um, and so in doing that, I did a, a re, a, you know, I revised the rules and changed them a bit. And actually, I think and having done that, they're, they're better than they were on the original draft. Again, because they're slightly simpler. And I had to make them slightly simpler because otherwise they wouldn't fit into the word count. So mm. I'm, you know, I'm accepting that I think in my drive and in my desire to to bring some really interesting dynamics into uh, into role playing games, but they're interesting and complex dynamics, as you say. Um, my first iterations can often be quite complicated because I'm trying to get everything in, and then taking a step back and yeah. So in that sense, my mechanical depth isn't great in those situations because it's too complex and it's not doing enough to the rules aren't doing enough to, to, to bring out what we need. Pairing it back then improves the mechanical depth because the rules get tighter. They get, you know, more nuanced um, and do more for less effectively, I guess. Yes. I, th- I think that's it. So there's an element we, we, we've got to face up to the fact that we're playing a game. So there is an element of abstraction None of what we're doing yeah. is a simulation, um, which no, may be a perfect opportunity yeah. to say um, you were going to talk a little bit about what Gabe's aims were in adding the damage rolls into War Stories. Yeah. Which, so, for those of our audience who don't know War Stories, produced by Firelock Games and is a year zero system set in the Second World War. Yeah, so Gabe and I... Yeah, no, cool. Gabe and I worked very closely. We worked hand in hand on the rules for, for War Stories, kind of from beginning to end. And it was a great collaboration because we both got on brilliantly. He's a fabulous bloke and he's a really good designer. And we had a long conversation about damage. And I spent a long time advocating, you know, let's let's do it the free league way. Let's have weapon damage that you don't need a table for. Um, but he was quite, quite keen, um, was quite clear that the kind of the fortunes of war was an important part of this and you know the risk of being hit with a light shot killing you outright existed but also the risk of being hit with a machine gun round and it just nicking you and not killing you existed and so mm-hmm. that was kind of the, under, the 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 basis for him saying yes you know we will accept the extra dice roll 
um, for the damage because this fortunes of war thing is something we want to we want to bring out. We want people to be frightened of being hit by a bullet, but there's a chance where you'll be a lucky bastard and get away with it. No, oh, absolutely, um, so and I've. Where it was coming from, yeah. And I've got to say, it works for me narratively. I, I, I balk at it. Just in my head, I balk at it. But my character has twice taken risky action in front of a German machine gun nest, been shot at, mm-hmm. and twice only been nicked. So, yeah. and, it, and it kind of fit. So I have a narrative now that I'm a bit like Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction, that I'm protected by God because I'm doing good work. <laughs> Um, my character's yeah. Jewish in this game and I'm taking the, the Torah to the Nazis one rocket-propelled grenade at a time. Um, <laughs> nice. And, and so, you know, this this is God's, you know, God God is protecting me. It's not it's not your, God's plan your dice rolling. You. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and that's fine. And at the point where it goes the other way and I'm suddenly dead like that, and, you know, such is the futility of my belief that God has protected me, that'll be fine too. Um, yeah, yeah. I hope. <laughs> Wait and see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was, I was, I was more badly damaged in the last fight we did. I don't know whether you listened in on that because I think um, I haven't listened to the latest one. No. So Thomas, you know, it, it was the final fight against spoilers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, in a building where grenades were thrown in a very small space, and luckily I was already damaged so i was lying on the floor and therefore prone and therefore possibly a little bit protected from the um uh, the grenade blast but i think i was very lucky to get out of that life and i was dragged out of that alive and then was very lucky to i can't remember quite what my injury is but it's relatively minor um yeah so i lived i'll be there for market garden i may be recovering for a chunk of Excellent. the um, in between time yeah but yeah all of that felt cool great you know having said that you know my my gut feeling is no, we shouldn't have those rules. You know, maybe it mm. is working for this game, and particularly for that. I've got to say, I think I'd be pissed off with doing it at the table. But now that Thomas has built the role, I can't remember what 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 platform we're using. But now he's automated the dice rolling on the on the virtual tabletop we're playing on the VTT. Yeah, that makes it. Um, I, I that makes it so smooth. If you listen to yeah, um, or if you watch on YouTube our. Uh, our first games where we're doing quite manual dice calculations towards that there and then compare that with, with the end. I'm generally a lot happier about that rule now that it's automated. Yeah. Uh, and we did, I mean, we talked about it on and off for, for a couple of months. So it wasn't a quick decision. Mm. Um, and we, and we looked at all the kind of alternatives, but ultimately, I mean, Gabe was the lead designer. So, you know, in all of this, he had, you know, if he wanted to put yeah. his foot down, then, then his he had the, the ultimate veto. And you um, see the alternative, and I, and the, I think, the, it, and, it, and I think it works well because again, it it just adds that total you no know, lucky strike, fortune of war idea that that you don't get so easily with you know a, a a set amount of damage if you take a hit. Yeah, and the alternative is effectively, you know, that set amount of damage in this game would be quite high compared to most other free league games. Yes, and therefore, yeah. well, you know, when at least from a German machine gun. Um, yeah. And therefore, I'd have been dead twice. You know, I'd have gone through three characters yeah. by now. Um, yeah. And though, you know, so instead I've got an interesting story about a man who convinces protected by God, um, which yeah. is fine. Absolutely. So in, terms of me- so in terms of mechanical depth and the way we've been talking about it, that works well. That mm. extra bit of 
of complexity adds to the the, the you know the, the the sense of the game that we were trying to achieve. So yeah. that's a good thing. So so there is mechanical depth there because that works. Um, if it didn't work or it didn't achieve what we wanted it to achieve, then it might be like you say it's a it's a it's a rule that you could then cull potentially. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, or on that rare point of agreement, I guess we should finish the show. We've been banging on today. Haven't we? I thought this was going to be a short one. Yeah, so did I. But no way. We, sh- we should know better by now, shouldn't we? Um, now, so in next two time, weeks' time. Next... Yeah. Go ahead, um, Dave. Two weeks' time. It probably won't be two weeks' time because that's going to be Christmas Eve. And I'm I'm going to be busy on that day. I don't know Ooh. about you. Um but the next time we record, um, we're going to talk a little bit about review, a review of the year, aren't we? Um, yeah. So that'll be fun. Looking forward to that. Um, that isn't to say there won't two. be something to listen to over Christmas. What I'll try and do, try, actually, because I've, I've got a busy couple of weeks. But what I'll try and do, um, given that people quite enjoyed our bonus show a few uh, episodes ago, uh, yeah. where we I just took an hour, our first hour of discussion about Tales of the Old West, I'll... I'll um, edit out another hour and maybe this time top and tail it to explain what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> so, yes, uh, if, you, if, you, if you're desperate for something to listen to while you're basting the turkey or whatever it is that one does at Christmas time, yes. um, then there will be something to listen to. Uh, but, yeah, our next Ooh. proper show will be in four weeks' time with a review of the year. Indeed. Good stuff. Cool. Well, um, have a fabulous Christmas, everybody. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. And may the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music, stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.